The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. I invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Yes, Philippians chapter 2. At at the very end of chapter 1, last week, uh, we saw Paul tell Philippi and us, that when we strive together side by side, united, when we strive together for joy in Jesus, even when or especially when we're opposed, then our joy serves as a sign to the world of the worth of Christ. In, in other words, we show the world that like when, when you, you can take everything from us, but we are going to keep holding on to Jesus because he's our treasure. He's worth more than anything. And our united joy in Jesus becomes a sign. It becomes like a huge billboard that displays the worth of Christ to the, the world. But Shades, like, after hearing those words from Paul, I wonder if the Philippians were not thinking to themselves, Paul, all of that sounds great in theory. But like, how in the world are we supposed to put that into practice? How, Paul, are we supposed to strive side by side, united? How are we supposed to strive united for joy in Jesus when in reality we are striving against one another, Paul? Like, if you just give this letter a cursory reading, Shades, all throughout it, you can pick up on the fact that even though the Philippians are a pretty healthy church, they are definitely experiencing some division. They're struggling with unity. It's going to get real explicit when we get to chapter 4, three years from now. Um, That's a joke. It's going to get real explicit, though, when we get to chapter 4. Paul's going to mention two members specifically. How would you like if I started out that way this Sunday? So we're experiencing a little disunity. Lance, you know who you are. Like, like that's what he does in chapter 4. He calls out Euodia and Syntyche. And he says, these, these two people, they used to strive side by side with me for joy in Jesus, showing his worth to the world, but now they're striving with one another. And their divisiveness is having a trickle-down effect within the Philippian church. Aren't you glad those kinds of problems are a thing of the past? Like, I'm so thankful we've come so far and churches no longer struggle to be unified by prioritizing joy in Jesus. Shades, I, obviously I'm being sarcastic because truth be told, I, I don't know if there is a more common danger for congregations than the danger of disunity. Like, this is so common. I hear about it every week because every week I sit down with people over coffee or, or in counseling situations and I get to hear their stories, your stories. I get to hear your stories. And, and it is painfully rare, painfully rare for somebody's story to not include being hurt by disunity in the church. Like, my story includes that. I'm willing to bet that yours does too. And and, and my, my fear, or what I see happen all too often, is that as a result of so much hurt within the church, many Christians decide, you know what, I'm just going to pursue joy in Jesus as an individual. Because there's hurt over there within the disunity of the church, and I don't, I don't like that. So I'm just going to pursue my joy in Jesus as an individual, and that, that will show his worth 
to the world, but shades, it won't. It, it won't. It, we cannot, I don't think I'm making an overstatement here. We cannot fully show the world the worth of Jesus as isolated individuals. You can't do it. Why? Because the good news of the gospel is that we have been saved from slavish isolation to sin and we have been saved into, brought into the people of God. That, that's what salvation is. That's the story of redemption all throughout the Bible. I mean, just start in the Old Testament. The story of redemption is that God saves his people out of slavery in Egypt and he brings them as a people through the wilderness to a land that's been promised to them where they will be finding joy in him as a people. That's, that's the story of what redemption is. And it serves as a picture to a greater, grander reality that's revealed in the New Testament. The reality that's revealed is that we, the church, have been saved out of slavish isolation in sin. We've been saved out of slavery to sin as a people who are now led as a people through this world until we arrive as a people at the promised land full of joy and the glory of God called the new heavens and new earth. That's the story. The, the, the story of redemption is not God saved the people out of Egypt so that they might wander as individuals through the wilderness and hopefully make it to the promised land. They wouldn't make it. And our story is not that we have been saved from sin as individuals to wander through this world as individuals and hopefully make it to the promised land of joy in, in Jesus no, you have been saved, brought out of isolation to be a part of the people of God. You've been adopted into God's family. That's another way that we talk about it. And unfortunately, when we talk about that, our only emphasis is typically we've been adopted into God's family, so we've got God as Father. That's true, but what's also true is that you've got one another as brothers and sisters. How are we ever going to convince the world of one of those truths without the other? Like, like, how can we say, yes, God is our Father, we've got great love for God, He's poured out His love in our hearts, but we don't love one another as brothers and sisters. That doesn't make any sense. The Apostle John says that that doesn't make any sense. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20, he says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Thanks for the clarity, John. We were wondering how you felt about it. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. John says it doesn't make any sense. Shades, we cannot show the worth of Jesus to the world as isolated individuals. Because the worth of Jesus is shown forth precisely when we share him as our joy, when we are united by joy in Jesus. And Philippi, when they hear that from Paul, they've got to be thinking, Paul, how do we get there? Because we're not there. We're not united by joy in Jesus. As a matter of fact, we're experiencing a lot of division. How do we get to unified joy in Jesus? P Paul, what is the way to joy. 
What is the way to joy? Shades, we need to know the way to joy. As long as our church is made up of human beings, which I think is what it's going to be for the foreseeable future, <laughs> as long as we're made up of human beings, we are likely to experience disunity. When we do, how are we going to fight? Not with each other, but alongside of one another. How are we going to fight to be unified by joy in Jesus so that Shades Valley Community Church displays the worth of Christ to the world? Like we're asking, Paul, what's the way to joy? I believe that he shows us the way in the first five verses of Philippians chapter 2. So let's begin reading together in verse 1. So, better translation for you, therefore, connects it back to chapter 1. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Therefore, told you he connects it back to chapter 1. At the end of chapter 1, if you go back and read it, Paul has just said, Philippi, you and I are in this thing together. Like this striving for joy in Jesus amidst opposition so that we show his worth to the world. We're in this together. Therefore, if you've been encouraged in Christ by me at all, and they have been, like that, that's what Paul's been aiming to do throughout this entire letter, encourage them in Christ. In fact, the Greek syntax of what Paul's saying right here, it expects a positive answer to all of his if statements. It, it, it would be kind of like me trying to motivate my kids to do something and saying to them, if I've provided for you at all, like if, I, if I've shown you love at all, like my if statements are really since statements. Like since I've done these things. And the Greek right here can actually be translated that way. So we can read Paul as saying, we're in this together, Philippi, therefore, since I've encouraged you in Christ, since I've comforted you with love from the Father, since we're partners in the Spirit, like, like if I've shown you any affection and comfort through the triune God at all, would you do one thing for me, Philippi? Just one thing. What's, what's the one thing, Paul? Make my joy complete. The word there literally means fill it up my joy is like a cup. Fill it up to the brick. Top me off, Philippi. Make my joy complete. Paul's been talking about his joy all throughout this letter. And like he's made it very clear what his joy is. Does anybody want to take a stab at what the joy of Paul is? It's Jesus glorified. Like if Christ is glorified, Paul's joy is magnified. You should be annoyed by that phrase by now. Like Paul's like, look, I'm in prison, but you know what? I can rejoice anyway as long as Jesus is being glorified. I got rival preachers on the outside of the prison in Rome. I can rejoice anyway. Christ is being glorified. Look, if I live or die, it really doesn't matter to me as long as Christ is glorified. If Jesus is glorified, Paul's joy is magnified. And he's basically saying right here, Philippi, like I've said that to you over and over again. I rejoice because I know Christ is being glorified in me. Now, Philippi, 
I'm saying now, make my joy complete by Christ being glorified in you. I'm rejoicing because he is being glorified. Make it complete. Fill it up. Top it off by Christ being glorified in you. I know that's what he means because that's what he said last week in 1 verse 27. Remember there he said, Philippi, whether I get out, whether I don't, whether I live, whether I die, I got just one thing for you, Philippi. Just one thing. Live a life that shows forth the worth of Christ. Live for the glory of Christ by being united and pursuing your joy in Him, Philippi. I got one thing for you. Live a life that shows forth the glory of Christ. And now he says that one thing, it'll complete my joy. It'll complete my joy. Fill it up to the brim. Philippi, you want to fill my joy up to the brim. Live your lives for the glory of Christ by being united in a pursuit of joy in Him. Awesome. How are they supposed to do that? They're not united. They're divided. We already talked about that. So how are they supposed to pursue this united joy in Jesus? Paul, what is the way to joy? Paul shows us the way by showing us four things. Four things. Number one, the way to joy is a unified mindset of love. We're going to unpack all this, okay? I just want to give it to you up front. The way to joy is a unified mindset of love. Look at verse two. Complete my joy. How? Are we going to glorify Christ? Be united? Pursuing joy in Jesus. How are we going to do that to fill up Paul's joy? Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, if you were here last week, you're probably thinking that sounds very similar to something that Paul has already said, and it does. But I think there's new stuff going on here. Last week, when Paul told them, I want you to strive unified for joy in Jesus... What he said to them was kind of like the, the, a coach's big pregame football speech. It's like the get you psyched speech, right? Philippi, one thing, live for the glory of Christ. You do that by unitedly pursuing joy in Jesus. All right, let's all go out the locker room and do that. Woo! Now, Paul is pulling us into a huddle. And he's saying, let me run the play for you. Let me, give, let me give you the how you're going to strive side by side. Let me give you the how you're going to be united in pursuit of joy in Jesus. Even later, for those of you that like the football analogy, he's going to run film for us later, and he's going to show us examples of how this plays out in Jesus and in himself and in Timothy and Epaphroditus, but, you know, that's for another time. I'm done with the football analogy now, okay, I promise. Philippi, you want to know the way to joy. You want me to give you the specifics. You have to be unified. Here's the play. Sorry, that was football again. Here's the play. You have to be unified in mind. He doesn't mean that we all have to think the exact same thing about everything. We talked about that last week. No, what he means is that we have to have a unified mindset. A unified mindset. And he explains what that mindset is. It's one that loves the glory of Christ above all things. We will be of the same mind, Paul says, when we have the same love. 
Be of the same mind. Having the same love. When the same thing is at the center of your mindset of each of you, then, then, then you will be united. We need the same love at the center of our mindset. We need Jesus there. I know that's what he means because as soon as he says that we're to have the same love, he uses these words, being in full accord. Or more literally, being of one soul. Now that should trigger something from last week for you. That's a callback. It's a callback to verse 27 where he told us the same thing, that we're to be of one soul. And he told us there, if you look back at verse 27, specifically what that looks like. Be of one soul, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. What does it mean to be of one soul? It means you're united by the gospel being your number one priority. The gospel's at the center of your mindset. The glory of Jesus in the gospel, that's the love that we share. Shades, this is the way to joy. By having a unified mindset of love for the gospel. We may disagree about many things, but we are united by the most important thing. The gospel. If we want to be a, a people, if we, if, if we want to be a people that are united in a pursuit of joy in Jesus, if we want to be a people that show the world the worth of Christ, then we've got to be a people centered on the gospel. We try to remind ourselves of this all the time. That the table and the cross sit at the center of this room to remind us that we are a gospel-centered people. Nobody gets center stage here except for Jesus. On the front of your, your bulletin, you'll see the Shades Valley mark, or you may see it every week on your coffee cup. We put it all over the place. Why? Because in its most basic form, it's centered, it's circular, it's central on the cross. It's meant to remind us that we are to be centered on Christ, a gospel-centered people. This is why... Here at Shades, we sing songs about Jesus. This is why we pray to Jesus. This is why we preach about Jesus. Like, even this sermon, Shades, this sermon is not primarily about us being unified. It's not. It would, it would be so easy, Shades, to preach this passage as just a moralistic call for us to be unified. And love each other. To just preach it as, all right, think about each other more than you think about yourself. Try harder at this. Let's all work together. Let's be unified. It'd be really easy to preach this passage that way. It would be so easy, Shades, to preach that way every week. To preach messages that, that the point of them was just, here's how to have a better marriage, Shades. Here's how to be better parents. Here's how to live more faithful as a single. Here's how to be better workers. Here's how to have a more complete emotional life. Here's, here's how to be better at praying. Here's how to be better at sharing the gospel. And on and on and on and on and on. And Shades, here's the deal. I care about all of those things. I care about all of those things. But if the glory of Jesus is not at the center for us, if he is not our joy, our love, our treasure, then we will lack the heart that pumps lifeblood into all those other things. Do you, you get what I'm saying here? If we just spend all of our time trying to treat symptoms instead of the source, 
we will do ourselves no good. If you come in and I try to tell you how to have a better marriage or be more faithful as a single without holding up the glory of Christ for him to captivate your heart, I have helped you none. What's going to make you a more faithful husband, a more faithful wife, more faithful in your singleness, more faithful to your kids in parenting, a better worker? What's going to make you more fervent in prayer, more passionate in mission, that you have beheld the beauty of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and He is the joy of your life? If that happens, you will be willing to sell everything. Give it all away because I have found joy in Christ that nothing can top. I'll tell the world about that. I'll lay down my life for my wife over that. I'll, I'll pour into my kids over that. What transforms us is beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I could preach to you all day about unity shades until I am blue in the face. But if it is not rooted in a mindset of love for the gospel of the glory of Christ, then I'm wasting our time and we will never be unified. That's why this sermon is not primarily about us being unified. That's not what this passage is about. This passage is about the glory of Jesus. Paul is calling them, the Philippians, to be unified for the glory of Christ. That's what's going to complete his joy. This passage is about us being unified so that Christ is glorified before the world. That's what's going to make our joy complete. When we are unified with this kind of mindset. A mind set on loving the gospel of the glory of Christ more than anything. Shades, this is the way to joy. A unified mindset of love for the gospel. Unfortunately, the gospel of Christ's glory is not what we naturally put at the center. And this is what Paul turns his attention to next. Number two, the way to joy is an unselfish motivation of humility. The way to joy is an unselfish motivation of humility. Look at verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. If we're going to put the gospel, Christ's glory at the center and we've got to first remove what naturally occupies the center place of our lives, namely ourselves, our own glory. This is what Paul points out when he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. The Greek word for conceit right there literally means vain glory, empty glory. What, 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 what is the empty glory, Paul? It's the glory that comes from self, from selfish ambition. Empty glory is me selfishly seeking my own glory. This word selfish ambition, he's already used it before. He used it back in chapter 1 and verse 17. You remember he was talking about rival preachers in Rome who wanted to garner followers for their own glory. They were about themselves, their own. They're pursuing their own glory. And he says that's empty. It's vain glory. It's, it's, it's 
empty. When, when, when you are pursuing your own glory that doesn't lead to unity, Paul points out, it leads to rivalry. Because you want to be more glorified than the other person. Rivalry is the way to disunity. Rivalry is what happens when people are competing for joy in their own glory. Shades, I'm not sure that anything divides a church faster than selfish ambition. It leads to rivalry. When we make things about our own glory, even good things, when we make them about our own glory, and it leads to rivalry with other people and to disunity. When, when we make our ministry about our glory, our ideas, our preferences, when, when we insist everybody's got to get on the same page with me, with what I'm doing, or I'm just going to take all of my toys and go home. When we put our glory at the center, we are not on the way to a unified joy in the glory of Jesus because we're trying to find joy in the glory of self. Paul says that's empty. Never going to find empty. It's not the way to joy. So what is? It is. He tells us do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but here's what you are to do. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Count being the operative word here. Consider, count, think of. Count others as more significant than yourself. It's not that they actually are, okay? They're all created equal in the image of God. It's not that they are more significant, but this is an attitude. It's a motivation of humility. I'm going to count others as more significant. This is humility for Paul. This is like how he is defining what humility is. Humility for Paul is not a putting down of oneself. That's normally how we think of it. Like, if I'm going to be humble, basically means I've got to think that I'm a terrible, lowly, horrible person. Humility for Paul is not a putting down of oneself. It is a raising up of the other. Count the other. As, it's not about how you think about you. Actually, shouldn't be thinking about you at all. The humble person forgets themselves. It's about thinking of the, the other. It's about taking on the form of a servant. In the ancient world, this word for humility had a negative connotation. Like nobody talked about this as a positive attribute. Because in their mind, it was, it was associated, humility was associated with servitude. You're counting the other as more significant than yourselves. You're serving them. Who wants to do that? That doesn't lead to joy. Paul says otherwise. Humility is not a putting down of yourself. It's a raising up of the other. Counting them is more significant than yourself. I, Shades, I see this kind of humility on display in my kids. Not often. That makes it sound like I'm raising angels. Far from it. They are fallen wretches. They need to be saved by grace. I see this kind of humility in my kids, not often, but I see it especially when we wrestle with one another. My, uh, my children, who are oh so often divided by rival factions, somehow when we wrestle, they are empowered to have a unified mindset of love. Not of me, but of winning. This, this brings them together, and so they team up, and all of a sudden, an unselfish motivation of humility appears. 
They start counting one another as more significant than themselves. If I get one of them pinned, the others don't stand back, thankful that it's not them. No, they throw themselves into harm's way for the sake of their sibling. And I just have to think that I'm catching a glimpse of the humility that Paul is talking about right here in verse 3. A humility that counts the other as more significant. And, And for my kids... This is the way to the joy of winning our wrestling matches. Their way to joy is an unselfish motivation of humility. Shades, that is our way to joy too. The way to joy is an unselfish motivation of humility. What does that look like played out practically? What does it look like for us to count others as more significant than ourselves? Paul is glad that we asked because that's the third thing he shows us about the way to joy. Number three, the way to joy is an unrelenting mission of joy. I promise it's going to make sense. The way to joy is a unified mindset of love, an unselfish motivation of humility, and an unrelenting mission of joy. Look at verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let each of you look. That, That verb, look right there, it's a present active participle. You don't have to care about that. All that you need to know that that means is that it is an ongoing action. Like Paul is saying, each of you need to be continually looking continuously paying attention. Don't stop at this. Be unrelenting in this. Unrelenting in what, Paul? Looking not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Be unrelenting in that. This is how counting others as more significant than yourself is going to play out. This is the action that your humble motivation is going to take an unrelenting mission to look out, not just for your own interest, that's natural, but also to look out for the interest of others. What interest? What are you talking about, Paul? What what, what is the interest of others? Paul has already shown us what he's talking about by putting this into practice himself. If I take you back for just a second to chapter 1 and verse 23, there... Paul, sitting in prison, told us what his best interest was. Do you remember? My desire is to... Anybody? Depart and be with Christ. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, to have full joy forever in the presence of Jesus. That's my best interest. Joy in Jesus forever. But... Paul wasn't about to just look out for his own interests. No, he was on an unrelenting mission to look out for the Philippians' interests, which he knew meant that he needed to stick around. This is what he says in verse 25 of chapter 1. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the Philippi, my best interest would be joy with Jesus in heaven. 
But your best interest is that I stick around and help you pursue joy in Jesus. What's Paul's best interest? Philippi's best interest? My best interest? Your best interest? Joy in Jesus, Shades. I grew up singing a song about this. It said, knowing you, Jesus, there is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. That, that song, that's, that's just Philippians 3.8 put to music, that nothing surpasses the worth of knowing Christ. He's the greatest joy in life. The best interest of every person on the planet is joy in Jesus. It's the only joy that lasts forever and that is completely full. And Paul tells us to be unrelenting, to be on an unrelenting mission of joy, an unrelenting lookout for each other's best interest, which is joy in Jesus. Shades, this is why, moment of personal confession for you, you should understand why I'm a pastor, why I do what I do. This is why I do what I do. I am on an unrelenting mission for your joy in Jesus. This is why I quote this section of Scripture to myself every morning to remind myself that my heart is united with Paul's. Why am I staying today and continuing with you all here at Shades for your progress and joy in the faith? I'm on an unrelenting mission for your joy in Jesus. This is not just what I'm supposed to do, Shades. This is what we do. Are you on an unrelenting mission for the joy of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Is this why you're here this morning? Because you care about everybody else in the room finding joy in Christ. Is this why you're part of a community group? Not, not so you can just go and find your best friends who will fill up a need in your own life, but so that you can go and help pour into other people and point them to joy in Christ? Is this why you persevere in the midst of suffering? Because you want other people around you to see Jesus is worth it, and I'm fighting this fight for your joy in Christ. Shades, this is why we do what we do in all that we do. We are on an unrelenting mission. I am on an unrelenting mission for your joy in Jesus. And, and you want to know what's crazy? You want to know what's just ironic about all of that? I'm on an unrelenting mission for your joy in Jesus. Here's what's ironic. When you, Shades, when you actually find joy in Jesus, it increases my joy. Like, putting your interest first ends up being in my best interest. Do we not see this in Paul? He says, Philippi, I'm going to stay because I'm on an unrelenting mission for your joy in Jesus. And Philippi, when you have united joy in Jesus, guess what? It completes my joy. It fills it up to the brim, Philippi. Seeking your best interest is seeking my best interest. I don't know that that blows anybody's mind, but 
mind. This truth is all over the Bible. My heart resonates with it most in 3 John and verse 4. There the apostle John says this, I have no greater joy than what? We expect him to say Jesus, but he doesn't. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You having joy in Jesus completes my joy in Jesus. It fills it up to the brim. Shades, you want to have joy in Jesus, seek one another's joy in Jesus. This, this sounds exactly like my same like, basic message in all marriage counseling. Like, I tell couples all the time, you want to be happy in marriage? Seek the other person's happiness. When both of you pour yourself out for the other person's joy, that's when you will find joy. All that is is an application of Ephesians 5.28. Look it up later and read it. But this isn't just true of marriage. It's true of the mission of our lives. It's true of finding joy in Christ. Shades, do you want to be unified by joy in Jesus so that we show his worth to the world? Here is the way. A unified mindset of love, an unselfish motivation of humility, and an unrelenting mission of joy. In other words, the way to joy is the way of the cross. It's what we've been describing. It's what Paul's been describing. And it's the fourth and final thing he shows us. It's how he finishes. Fourth thing, Shades, the way to joy is the way of the cross. Take everything that we've said so far and add it together, and this is what you get. The way of the cross. Look at verse 5. Have this mind. This mind I've just been describing to you. Unified mindset of love. This unselfish motivation of humility. This unrelenting mission of joy. Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Your Bible likely has a footnote right there with an alternate reading which says have this mind among yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. The reason for those two readings is that the Greek is a little ambiguous right there. Either translation is possible. I think that's on purpose. I think Paul wants us to be able to see it both ways because both things are true. One of those readings emphasizes Christ's example the other emphasizes empowerment. One emphasizes Christ's example. Have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ. Look to Christ. Look at the mindset that was in him. It's an example unto you. And one emphasizes empowerment. Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Because you're united with him, he empowers you to do this. And I believe that he wants us to see both things because the following verses, 5 through 11, unpack both of those things. They unpack example and empowerment. First example. Paul says, this mindset I've been describing to you, you've seen it before. In Christ. He has gone before. He's shown you the way to joy. It's the way of the cross. Think of how counter this is, Shades. To If, if we were to ask the world, what's the way to joy? Would they not describe the exact opposite of the way of the cross? What's the way to happiness? 
The way to joy, it's, it's by selfishly seeking what you want, putting yourself first. No matter who you've got to climb over, you are on an unrelenting mission for your joy alone. Paul says that's not the way to joy. The way to joy is the way of the cross. It's the mindset of Christ, which verse 6 tells us, who though he was in the form of God, because he is God shades, that's why he was in the form of God, because he is God, and he along with God the Father and God the Spirit have a united mindset of love for one another's glory. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not count. You should recognize that word. He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped or to use for his own advantage. He didn't count himself as more significant than everybody else. No, he had an unselfish motivation of humility. He counted others as more significant than himself. Not because others were more. I'm not more significant than Christ, but he counted me that way. Luke 22 and verse 27, Jesus says to his disciples, for who is greater, the one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. He didn't count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. He did this ultimately by verse 7, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even unrelentingly, even death on a cross. Why? For your joy and for mine. He went to the cross for your joy in God forever and for, for mine. And you know what? By achieving your joy and mine forever, he completed his own joy. Hebrews 12 and verse 2 says that Christ went to the cross for the joy set before him. Shades, you want to know the way to unify joy in Jesus? It's the way of the cross. This is the way. You can spend your life trying to find joy in any other way. They are all dead ends. None of them will fill your cup up to the brim. This is the way. It's the way of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one's coming to the Father for full joy in Him except through me. It's the way of the cross. Jesus says this all the time, repeatedly. Matthew 16, verse 25. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's the way of the cross. Mark 10 and verse 31. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. That's the way of the cross. Luke 14 and verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's the way of the cross, for that is precisely what Paul goes on to describe in Philippians 2 and verse 9, that Christ, who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, he was then exalted by his Father in resurrection, power, and glory. And he was given the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and just in case you're wondering, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And shades, it is this all-powerful Christ who has the name above all names. It is this all-powerful Christ who empowers you to take the way of the cross. 
Paul began chapter 2 by telling us that there is encouragement in him. There is love from the Father through him. There's participation in the power of the Spirit through him. All of this empowers us to take the way of the cross, the way of a unified mind of love, an unselfish motivation of humility, and an unrelenting mission of joy. Shades, let's point the world to the worth of Jesus by walking this way together so that they see before their eyes an example of the cross and a demonstration of its power. Shades, let's take the way to joy. Amen.